Cool. How are you doing? ¿Cómo estás? Bien. Always bien, eh? Good to see you all. Hey, just want to remind you that church online is happening at the same time, although they'll be done by now. So, um, so we recorded stuff during the week and put it online because there was um, quite a few people that were either nervous about coming or have had sickness so couldn't come. So I thought that was kind of cool that we're doing like a double kind of banger. It's pretty cool. How's the last in our little series, um, When the Devil Knocks? which is, I really loved it and had some really cool feedback from people. I um, wanted to remind you, like I did a couple of weeks ago, just when every bad thing happens, it's not always Satan, right? So you get a flat tire, maybe Satan, maybe you just ran over a nail, right? When you get a really surprising bill in the mail that you weren't expecting, maybe the evil one, but probably not. It's probably you went shopping and forgot what you bought, right? <laughs> um, so we want to find that balance, right? It's not like everything that bad that happens is the evil one. Oh! But at the same time, I think we miss a lot of his activity in our lives, right? And I think, I've thought a lot about this over this, this three weeks of this series, and the way I keep thinking about it is like this, and I don't mean this to be rude, but it's kind of rude. I think for a lot of us, there's a difference between principle and practice, okay? So principle and practice, or theory and practice. And what I mean by that, I think a lot of us, if we talked about spiritual warfare, we're like, yes, there is a devil, yes, there are demons, yes, there is spiritual warfare, we believe that, But then when it comes to the way we live our lives, we don't live our lives with that expectation. Does that kind of make sense? We don't live our lives being alert, being aware of the attacks of the evil one. We kind of default to, it's that Lord of the Rings thing. That's what I always think about. We default to this kind of science fiction sort of, yeah, it's all there. But when it comes to practice, we don't, I don't know. We don't really live it out in in practice. Um, This verse that Sarah read it a couple of weeks ago from Peter 5.8. I love this, eh? Um, Stay alert. Watch out. I, I love it in Spanish. See in the Spanish? Victoria taught me how to say it. Estén alerta. Doesn't that sound amazing? So turn to someone beside you and go, and you have to say it aggressively because it's got an exclamation at each end, right? So turn to someone around you and go, Estén alerta. Is that okay? Oh, so good. I love it, eh? It's just that like, stay alert. Ah, I love it. All right, let me read, let me read the rest. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What is Satan doing? (laughs) He's prowling around. (laughs) What is Satan doing? He is looking for someone to devour, right? What's our job? Our job is simply to stay alert, to watch out, to be aware. (laughs) Estén alerta. I've never seen a lion attack a person, which personally I'm quite thankful for. Um, But I've done a bunch of reading about it and to see where did Peter get this whole imagery from and uh, most of the people I was reading this week were saying that in 8064, most of you know this, right? In 8064, Rome burnt, and Nero uh, blamed the Christians at the time. And so persecution from Christians before 8064 was very minimal, if anything, a little bit, but not a lot. But after 8064, just went through the roof because he needed to blame someone for this massive fire. Um, and one of the main ways that Christians started getting killed, there's a lot of just kill and killings, but a main way that Christians started getting killed was being taken into the Colosseum, right? And so they were taken into the Colosseum, and the two ways they were killed was either by gladiators, and usually they would do it in a really horrible, long way, uh, or they'd be killed by wild animals. And so doing a bunch of reading this week, they said what they'd normally do, they would starve lions, but a lot of other big cats, and they would starve them for a long time until they were almost to that point of death, right? So they were just so ravenous, it's just ridiculous. And then they would get Christians and other, other criminals, but at least six million um, Christians died during this time. 
Uh, they get Christians, and usually they'd be naked. Um, sometimes they'd wrap them in the skins of other animals to make it more entertaining. Because th- if you've seen the Colosseum, thousands and thousands of people fit in there. Um, and then they would release these animals, and horrible stuff would happen. So stop for a sec- this is kind of a horrible image, but stop for a second and think. Imagine if you were a Christian back then, and you had decided that you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you refuse to offer incense to Caesar. You refuse to worship his image, which is what you're required to do, and call him Lord. And so you'd been captured, you'd been taken into the Colosseum, you're now standing with thousands and thousands of people around, all cheering on the lions and cheering on the gladiators. Maybe you're naked, maybe you're wrapped in horrible animal skins, and then you hear the roaring of the lions, (laughs) the roaring of the other animals. How terrified would you be, right? Um, and then you hear the gate go up or whatever happens and they come out. And what would they do? They would do what this verse says, which is what Peter's saying. You've seen like a house cat <laughs> stalk a mouse or a bird, right? It doesn't just kind of wander up and chomp. It's very cunning. Even the fattest like cat that lives right by the fire, when it sees a bird or a mouse, most of them, some of them can't move much, but you know what I mean? They don't just, they, don't, they, they prowl, right? They sneak. And you're like, how is my fat house cat going to get, oh my gosh, it got the bird. How did it do that? And you'll see it do this amazing thing, right? What does the cat do? What did the lions do in the, in the Colosseum? They would wait until the perfect time to pounce, right? Like a prowling lion just waiting until, until the perfect time to attack, to, to, to pounce on that bird or to pounce on that person and, and destroy them. And, and it's, it's pretty likely that this is the imagery that Peter's bringing out when he talks to us about this. So the alertness that he's calling us to is extreme, right? You get that, eh? You see that. It's not just like, ah, you kind of be alert if you want. It's like, oh my gosh, estén alerta, (laughs) be alert. Why? Because Satan, what is he doing? He's prowling. What is he doing? He's looking for someone to devour. Um, Pretty full on. If you're a Christian, Satan is always on the attack. He hates you. His desire is to destroy you, right? Right? He'll be attacking your marriage always. He'll be attacking your family, attacking your finances, attacking your role in your job. That's his job, is to attack, to destroy. I love this this quote that Matt had up last week when he was talking about um, the evil one. The devil knows you by your name, um, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. I just love that, eh? God knows that we sin and we mess up, but he also knows that if we're connected to Christ then our sin has been dealt with at the cross and removed. And you are, whether you believe it or not, if you're a Christian, if you're in a relationship with God, you are pure and powerful because of your relationship with Christ. Satan doesn't need to flee from you because you're just a wiener human. (laughs) But when you're connected to Christ, he has to run away. He has to flee because of that connection. And I want to encourage you, I, I... this phrase just kept coming back to me this week. So I want to encourage you, some of you, if you really struggle with um, self-image, and I know it's not just a quick say phrase and I'm, I'm fixed and stuff, struggle with self-image, struggle with anxiety, um, struggle with a sin that just keeps getting you. One of the things I'd love to encourage you to do is every morning, definitely find some cool verses to say. I think we're nuts if we don't find verses that directly target different sin or different anxieties and stuff we have. But one of the things I'd encourage you to say every morning is, man, I am pure and powerful in Christ. It just reminds me who I are. You're not pure and powerful by yourself, but I am pure and powerful in Christ. I just love that, eh? Satan doesn't need to flee from you, but he needs to flee from you in Christ. So cool. Hey, so this is what I'm talking about today. This is the third one. The devil is a destroyer who attacks your will with pride, right? 
The devil is a destroyer who attacks your will with pride. And this is kind of one of the key verses that um, Mahalia read just before um, from uh, John 10.10. You guys know this really well. eh? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, what does the devil do? The devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's not if he attacks, it's when he attacks, because he hates you. And his number one job is to destroy you, right? To kill you, to try and drag you down. And we have to live with this understanding, not in fear, because we're in Christ, but with this understanding, right? If you're a Christian, he is attacking you. It's not a matter of, oh, maybe he will one day. He is attacking you. He's attacking your marriage. He's attacking your kids. He's attacking your parents. He's attacking your job. It's what he does, right? What does the devil do? Kills, steals, destroys, right? Um, it's kind of interesting studying this this week because one of the ways that devil often attacks us is in our pride. And a lot of us would say he definitely attacks us in our weakness, which I agree. But one of the things you see in the Bible, when you look at this crazy story from David, is that often Satan attacks when it's, we're in a place of pride, when we're in a place of complacency. We're in a place of everything's going really good, it's all great. That's when Satan does the prowling. And then he sees us being proud and arrogant, which usually means we're not really being alert, right? We're not really depending on God as much as we were when everything was hitting the fan and finances were scary and family was sick and that. Then we're like, oh, Jesus, I need you. Help me, God. Oh, my gosh, texting the prayer chain. Everyone, can you help? Freaking out, you know? Hey, so then we, get, we see David, right? And David is um, at the top of his game. We're going to read a verse from Chronicles in a minute. I've got them all on the screen today. Um, and David is at the top of, the, of his game, right? He's been king now over Israel and Judah for quite a while. Everything's amazing. Basically subdued all the immediate enemies. People are singing songs about him because he's so fantastic. Killed giants. And like you read the chapter four, he's just slaying like six or seven giants that are like either Goliath's brothers or descendants of Goliath. He's just like, the man! And he starts getting a little bit um, complacent. And it's real interesting, if you go back the previous chapters before this, again and again, there'll be phrases like, um, at the time of year when kings went out to war, David was at the palace. And you're like, why? And it's because he's become complacent, right? Previously, he was like, man, I'm a king. I've got to be out at war. Not necessarily fighting in front of the army, but with the army to support and encourage them. But now he's got complacent. He's got quite arrogant. He's got quite prideful. Um, And then we read this crazy verse, which if you don't get that context, you're like, what is going on? So this is this verse here, 1 Chronicles 21.1. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. And this verse freaks me out, right, for a whole bunch of reasons I'm going to unpack. But one of the massive ones is this. Satan rose up against Israel. So Satan's goal here is, remember, steal, kill, destroy. His goal is to destroy Israel. So what does he do? Does he attack Israel? No. What does he do? <laughs> so he calls David to take a census. Now this makes me go, oh man, if Satan wants to attack your whanau, he might not attack your whanau, he might attack you. That's what this is saying, right? If Satan wants to attack the community that you live in, he might not attack the community, he might attack you. If Satan wants to attack Agora, he might not attack Agora, he might attack you. Because <laughs> he knows that if he can get you in that place of complacency, that place of pride, that place where you're not being alert, he's like, woohoo. You see that in the verse, eh? Because you'd expect it to say, Satan rose up against Israel and attacked Israel and did this and that. It's like, no, no, no. He wants to attack Israel, so he attacks this one person. And, and David's being complacent. David's being pride and, and, uh, prideful and arrogant. And you see it as you go through the chapter. 
I just think Satan is so cunning here, right? It's not when David is down and struggling in life that Satan comes to attack. It's not when David's questioning God's existence or whether God truly cares for him that Satan comes to attack. It's not when someone in his family is struggling and they're feeling overwhelmed that Satan comes to attack. It's not when he's about to lose his job or be hit by some financial struggle that Satan comes to attack. It's when everything looks really good for David, when he's on the top of his game, when he's being complacent. That's when Satan attacks, right? It makes sense to me. When, when things are hitting the fan, that's when we pray. That's when we call out to friends and say, oh my gosh, I'm so struggling at work, can you pray? But when everything's good, we're not as alert, right? We're not watching for the devil's attacks or the devil's schemes. Um, a lot of people would say that David's worst sin is the one with Bathsheba, right? So you guys know the Bathsheba story, but I'll give you the, the nanosecond, because I'm going to argue that this sin is, is way worse, right? This sin that happens during his pride. So the, the Bathsheba story in the, the short kind of one-minute version, um, David's king, again, he should be at war. It literally says that at the beginning of the chapter that talks about David and Bathsheba. He should be at war, but he's at home. Why? Because he's prideful, he's arrogant, he's complacent. Um, certainly not on the alert, and he's walking around just after lunch and sees a woman bathing, which he should be like, what? But instead he finds out who she is, finds out she's married, and then he's like, I don't care, I'm the king, go and get her, bring her to me, which she would have no, she couldn't say no, right, she'd be instantly lose her head, so she comes. They do the wild thing, which I won't talk about, um, and then she gets pregnant, and it's like, oh no, and so David now, to cover up his sin, gets her wife, uh, her wife, her husband to come back from the battlefield where he's being a good soldier, which is where he should be, which is where, what a surprise, David should be, but he's not. Um, so he comes back, and then David is super underhanded and gets him drunk, smashed drunk, right? So gets um, Bathsheba's husband totally drunk, and then tells her, him, go home and sleep with your wife. But you guys know the story. It's like David, you're, as you're reading it, you're like, David is so shady. But then the husband sleeps on the steps of the fortress because he's like, nah, the men, my soldiers are out in the field, I'm not going to go home and sleep in my bed or with my wife. And you've got that comparison. Where's David? He's at home in his bed, right? It's pretty crazy. So then David, what does he do? What does he do? He gets him drunk the second time. And this time, can I just get my water underneath you, Nick? Sorry. Cheers, bro. Gets him drunk a second time. And when you read it in the text, it's like he gets him pretty blind drunk this time. Same thing. Doesn't go home. Uh, So then David, super underhandedly, sends the guy to the battlefield carrying a letter, which is his own death warrant, uh, which he used to give to his commander, which says basically kill this guy, right, to cover up all the sin. And then, oh no, he's died on the battlefield and now he can marry Bathsheba. Pretty shady, right? Pretty shocking. Are you with me? Pretty shocking? Okay, cool. Thanks, team. Um, But in that one, there's only four people that die, right? So Uriah dies and a few other people die, only four people. So how many people die as a result of this? Massive sin that David does here. Just a fast side note. There's nothing wrong with David taking a census, really. So back in Exodus 30, Moses used to take a census every year. But that census was called uh, a census of atonement, a covering. And the idea was every male over the age of 20 would give an offering to the temple. And it was to remind them that they'd been redeemed from Egypt by God. And so the whole thing was like a time of worship. You came to the temple, you gave this money, and you're saying, oh my gosh, God's redeemed us from slavery in in Egypt. That was the point of that census. But if you read through this chapter, this chapter is all about David being the man. So he doesn't say to count just the men. He says just count people in the army. And you're like, it's kind of a weird census, right? It's all about him. Um, Joab, who's the commander of the army, when David tells him to count it, (laughs) it's real crazy. Read the chapter. It's just wild. He's like, no, 
we should never do this because he knows it's all about David being prideful and arrogant. Look how big my army is. And then when Joab does, because the king says, nope, you have to go and do it. And then when he does do the counting, he forgets to count two of the tribes because he's like, this is so terrible. We just shouldn't do this. It's kind of cool. I thought it was cool. Thanks for being with me. Some of you are just staring at me and it's freaking me out. So that's all good. Maybe the preaching's so intense. You're just processing it. I'll, I'll lean that way. So here's my question, right? This is clearly pride. You look through the chapter, it's real clear it's to do with pride and arrogance on David's, on David's part. So this is my big question. David is called a man after God's own heart, right? You know that. So of all the people in the Bible, the one person apart from Jesus who's called tight with God, like God, is David. So if David is the man after God's own heart, how does he commit such a massive sin? How does he do such a massive sin? So remember before I said with the whole Bathsheba incident, only four people died. Does anyone know how many people die with this one? 70,000 people die as a result of him taking a census. And it's this whole thing. Remember the, the verse up here? Satan wanted to attack Israel. So what does he do? He attacks one person who's complacent, one person who's got lazy, one person who's not being alert, right? So my question is, how does a man after God's own heart miss God's desires and make such a huge mistake. And it's simple. He just got lazy. He just got prideful. He got arrogant. He's not alert. So what does the devil do? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is kind of a quote that sums up what I'm trying to say. You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride, right? You may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. God hates pride. This is this verse from Proverbs 16, um, 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Sometimes we find ourselves saying things like this, oh, man, I'm so holy or I'm so tight with God, man, I would never do what that person's doing. Pride, right? I really don't need anyone. I've totally got this. Pride. I'm a really self-made person. I have worked hard. I deserve this. Pride. I know I've got a problem. I know I'm struggling. I'm just not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to ask for help. Pride. Now, I'm not apologizing for that because that's just totally not my fault, right? Pride. What happens when we're prideful and arrogant? (laughs) We're not alert. And Satan comes to attack us, to destroy us. I want to finish with these um, verses that you guys know super well, right? I love these verses. Um, James 4. God opposes the proud. Just stop for a second and go, whoa. So if you're someone who's proud, complacent in that situation where you're not pushing into God as much as you were, because things are great, things, everything's good. Not only is Satan going, this is going to be so easy to steal and kill and destroy you, God is opposing you, right? God is opposing you. He hates it when we take credit and we don't depend on him. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You guys know this, but I always have to say it when I read this verse. It's not just resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He's not afraid of you at all. He's not afraid of me at all. (laughs) But he's afraid of us connected with God, right? He's afraid of us connected with God. This is the second part of these verses. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. I just love this last bit, right? So this is the end of the series. And so the, the number one question for me is, how do I stay alert? How do I avoid the, attack, the attacks of the evil one? He is prowling, right? 
He is seeking to steal and kill and destroy me and you. It's his job. So how do I avoid that? What do I do? The simple thing you see from this is be really humble. How do I be humble? It's this right here. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So what do you do to come close to God? We're all real different, right? What some of you would say, other people would be like, what? That's bizarre. (laughs) So what do you do that draws you close to God? What do you do that when you're doing that, you're like, man, I just know God is with me. I feel his presence right now. For some of you, it would be listening to cool Christian worship music. You put that on, maybe you're driving, you're sitting at home, and you're just like, (sighs) for some of you, it's making sure you always spend time in the Word. Every day, you're in the Word. For some of you, it would be going for a walk in nature. You go for a walk in nature, you might have Christian music playing, you might not. You see a tui, you see a cherry tree at the moment, they're just like popping everywhere, and you're like, man, just that connection with God. So what is it that you do that, that draws you close to God, that helps you feel that presence of God? Because that's what you need to be doing regularly because then God's close to you, right? Then when Satan comes to attack, he's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to remind you of that verse from First Chronicles that I said before, right? Because to me that's crazy. Um, sometimes, not always, sometimes, when Satan comes to attack something that you're involved in, He doesn't necessarily attack what you're involved in. He'll attack you because he knows if he can get you, he gets whatever that is you're involved in. Your family, your place of employment, your community, your church, your life group, marriage, kids, right? He might be like, man, I just can't get them, but you've become complacent. I can attack you. Man. Let's all stand up and let me pray for us. And then we're going to carry on with worship. Worship team, do you guys want to come up while I'm doing a prayer? It's all good, eh? Cool. Let me pray for us as we finish. Now, just before I pray too, yeah, like honestly, if anyone's worried about all this, like this talk about the devil and stuff, then please come and have a chat, eh? Or shoot me a text or an email and let's catch up for a coffee and have a talk about this, right? Or talk with one of the elders or Joe's or someone. So I'd hate to, to, to do the series and people will be like, oh, I'm not quite sure here, so... Okay, let me pray for us. Yeah. Yeah, kia ora, almighty God. Uh, thanks that you are way greater, way stronger than the evil one. Uh, thanks that there's no way we have to fear him at all. Um, I guess we certainly don't have to fear him when we're living close to you, when we are drawing close to God and then you're drawing close to us. I guess if we are in that place of... Um, complacency and ah oh, yeah prayish me ah oh, yeah reading my Bible yeah, I'll get it right onto that sort of thing. Um, then we should be <laughs> kind of fearful because then He can just mess with us. He can steal, kill, and destroy. But I thank you when we're being intentional, when we're being alert, estén alerta. When we're being alert and drawing close to you, um, that Satan has to flee away from us. Thank you for that, God. That security that you give us. I pray um, now for people that uh, met with you online this morning through our church. God, can you just bless them too? Um, I know there's a bunch of people that are sick and some people that were just real nervous about coming this morning. Can you draw really close to them as they drew close to you this morning as they connected in with service or later on today or this week or something? Can you be really close to them? God, remind them that you've got them, that you're with them. Thanks for receiving our worship this morning. And pray you'll remind us of these cool verses that we've looked at. Thank you that your word is really powerful. It really does change us 
change the situation, change the environment that we're in, God. Thank you that we never have to fear Satan when we're walking close with you, when we're dwelling with you and you're indwelling us. Be with us now and receive our worship. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen.